I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, Bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21+, plus, 18+, plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler, or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Let's roll, baby. It is an early Wednesday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, JJ Johnson-Stremski. We are right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And my goodness, what a day for the NFL. And to think, I thought today was going to be basking in the euphoria of the Tom Brady retirement and that that story was going to take center stage and that that particular moment was going to be kind of our little element at play that we are discussing starting off the show, transitioning the giant new head coach, and on and on we go. That goes completely out the window at around 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon when the story leaks, and I saw it immediately. The attorneys of Brian Flores sent it my way immediately. So I got it out to you folks on Twitter as soon as I could. But Brian Flores, who got fired by the Miami Dolphins and was a candidate for the New York Giant job just a couple of days ago, dropped a monster bombshell of a lawsuit at the hands of Stephen Ross and the Dolphins at the hands of John Mara and the New York Giants. John Elway and the Denver Broncos are involved. Bill Belichick is involved. And there's so much to unpack here. There is so much to unpack for a coach that probably a month ago, if you would have told me Brian Flores would be suing the NFL and would not be coaching an NFL team, I would have given you 10,001 odds on that. So just think about how crazy this shift has been over the last few days. There's a lot to unpack. From our perspective locally, New York, and we'll get to the Raw stuff, we'll get to the Broncos stuff in a minute. It's the idea that the Giants did not do right by Brian Flores 
and that Brian Flores believes his interview with Joe Shane and with Giant Ownership was an absolute farce. That's what the lawsuit indicates. That he found out from Bill Belichick days before he interviewed. Belichick apparently sent a text message that was supposed to go to Brian Dable, ends up going to Brian Flores, whether that's on purpose or not. I have no idea. You can't rule anything out. It's definitely a possibility or it's a classic senior moment basically mentioning the Giants and the excitement and he's hearing good things from the Giants in Buffalo. And basically, Brian Flores is like, hold on a second. Is this supposed to be for me? And then Belichick had to correct himself after the fact and say, no, Dable's getting the job. My bad. I fucked that one up. His words, his language. You can understand the frustration of Flores if he was dragged through a process where he didn't have a fighting chance to get the job. Here's the blurry area in this from a Giants standpoint. The Giants hired a general manager in Joe Shane. He came from the Buffalo Bills. He had ties to the Buffalo Bills. He was going to hire his guy. You want the Rooney rule in place to help minority candidates. The problem is you don't have enough minority candidates coaching head teams right now. You just don't. Look at the numbers. Look at the statistics around the league. To have a situation like the Giants and just put all the blame on the organization, I'm not willing to do that right now. Because Joe Shane has a right to hire who he wants to hire. Brian Flores also does not have to be duped. That's the issue. Transparency. And if it turns out the Giants knew a week prior to Brian Flores going into that building, sitting down for dinner, telling other people outside the organization like Bill Belichick that we have our head coach, that's messed up. That's uncalled for. And that is the sort of practice that needs to be corrected. And listen, Brian Flores went above and beyond just detailing the shortcomings of the Giants in their coaching search. In many ways, Brian Flores has put his coaching reputation on the line, period. Because there's a very good chance with a lawsuit against the National Football League, you will never coach again. That's the reality of the situation. Brian Flores is sticking his neck out on a variety of different levels. The Giants situation. Then how about the bombshell he dropped with Miami, which to me was the juiciest part of anything I read in that lawsuit. The idea that Brian Flores apparently was offered $100,000 a loss in the 2019 season. If indeed that is proven true, Stephen Ross is going to lose the Miami Dolphins. If you can prove that. In this day and age of gambling, in this day and age of trying to maintain the integrity of the game. Look, we all know the Dolphins were tanking in 2019. They got at the roster. They were 0-7. They weren't any good. That's why it was so remarkable, quite frankly, that Flores went and won five of his remaining nine games. My goodness. That could bring out some tension between owner and head coach. But my question to Brian would be, look, you stayed two and a half years after the fact. Why? I know it's one of 32. I know it's been a dream to be an NFL head coach. If you're getting broad $100,000 and you don't feel comfortable with it and you don't feel at ease, 
I mean, the whole yacht story with Brady, who the hell cares? That happens all the time as far as I'm concerned. Maybe improper, but that's life for doing business in the NFL. We see plenty of that. The $100,000 is like, holy moly. The greater point of this lawsuit, though, is Brian Flores taking a bullet for a lot of the minority coaching candidates who are not getting a sniff, who are not getting a chance. And in many ways, is Brian Flores going to go down as a martyr? He very well may. So I applaud the bravery if indeed what he's bringing to the table is spot on and accurate because that's gutsy. Brian Flores was going to coach in the National Football League again. There's not a doubt in my mind. Okay, back-to-back winning years. You tell me Brian Flores wasn't going to get hired next year if he didn't get one of these jobs? Now, I can't say with certainty that Brian Flores is going to coach. Like, if you're New Orleans and you're Houston, I mean, you might have some within the inner inner workings, inner belly to the NFL saying, hey, guess what? Please give him a job. Because if you're the NFL, you hate bad PR. You want this to go away. But this was just like earth-shattering stuff across the board. From the Belichick text to the Giants and the way they went about their process to what went on in Miami and bribing. Bribing. Could you imagine bribing a coach $100,000 to lose a game? It's worth the read. It's like 40-something pages. It's on my Twitter page. But talk about stealing the spotlight away from Tom Brady. Talk about stealing the spotlight away from the Super Bowl. And I'm sure wisely crafted by the law team, the Lefterakis's and company when it comes to repping Brian Flores, doing this on February 1st, first day of Black History Month. I do believe that there was some sort of symbolism in getting this out in the forefront on this particular day. But a lot of holy shit type stuff in here. So it's going to be very, very fascinating to see how it all unfolds. And right now, Brian Flores seems to have a major, major axe to grind. And We'll see the collateral damage. I don't think there will be much from a giant standpoint. That's just my gut feel. I think the Dolphin perspective with the bribes and the $100,000, that's something that is the most scintillating piece within the entire lawsuit. But if this turns out to change the hiring practices of NFL teams for the better for minority candidates, and it's a revised Rooney rule and some of the stuff that he's calling for ends up going into place, good. That's a good thing for the league. So we might look back on this as maybe a watershed moment. We may look back on this in a couple of years as who the hell knows. So it was definitely worth your attention. And my head is still spinning and basically trying to detail all the little nuances of it, including the accusation that John Elway and company were basically bombed out of their minds, sticking up booze when they interviewed Brian Flores. And all the teams, by the way, you notice Giants, Dolphins, Broncos, NFL, denied, denied, denied. So we may have a whole lot of he said, he said. Flores is doing CBS News tomorrow, so that'll be interesting. Okay. Then you have Mr. Brady. And it's amazing that Mr. Brady is getting bumped, but he should be with a story like this. The greatest player in the history of the league formally announces his retirement. And as we said on Sunday night, from the minute Tom Brady came into the league, nobody was more special. Nobody was more aware of the big moment again and again and again. And the longevity, the standard of excellence, the championships, the Super Bowl appearances, the AFC title game appearances, the division titles, 
doing it until your mid-40s and you're playing just as good at 44 as you are at 34. Yeah, he's a cyborg. He's an absolute freak. My hatred of Tom Brady kind of disappeared over time. I'm not going to lie. Like, I go back to my teenage years. I couldn't stand Brady. I couldn't stand the Patriots. I couldn't stand the cockiness. Then you're watching him in like 2016. I'm watching 28-3 over the Falcons. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's the GOAT. I'm never going to see this in my lifetime ever again. You might as well bow down to the greatness. And for me, and I don't know if Jeff fans feel the same way. Seeing Brady leave and go to Tampa made him that much more likable as far as I was concerned. I rooted for Brady like crazy each of the last two years. Maybe not against the Rams in the divisional round, but I was pulling for Tom Brady. The moments analysts from the tuck rule to the Seattle Super Bowl to 28 to 3 to going to Tampa and winning a Super Bowl there in his first year. But, you know, I think for a whole lot of New York Giant fans and NBC's four, their Twitter page is all over this. Hey, you beat him twice. Think about that. The Giants beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick twice in the Super Bowls. Makes their achievement to me that much more outstanding and makes it that much cooler. You beat the best to ever do it. You beat him when he was undefeated, going for a perfect year. Maybe the only blemish on the Brady record. That's the only thing he probably wishes he had back, that 2007 Super Bowl. But could have, should have, would have. And then you beat him again to validate in 2011. So, listen, the Giant fan was having some fun with that. The Jet fan maybe was having some fun with the Foxborough playoff game, but kind of hard to have fun from a Jet standpoint with Brady losing two games every year. But neither here nor there. Hats off to the GOAT. He's the best to ever do it, and I'm going to miss watching him on football Sundays. A couple of quick notes, and then we got a loaded shell. I was in this net game tonight. They played hard. They scored a ton of points. Harden was efficient. Irving had his moments. The Suns were just too good. They are too good. I mean, the explosive Paul-Booker combo. When they're cooking, when they're firing on all cylinders, they're as good as anybody in the NBA. This is a tough team for a team like Brooklyn to beat when you don't have Kevin Durant on the floor. I mean, you saw their defense at the end of the first half. It was just abominable. And then in the fourth quarter, this is a tight game, but the two best players on the court, and guess what? The two best players on the court without Kevin Durant, Devin Booker and Chris Paul. They were the two best players on the floor. You don't have Durant. That's tough to overcome. Being a team like that, tough to overcome. And one note on the hockey, and we don't do a lot of hockey on this show. That's going to be changing over the next few months. How about the Rangers, though? Holy moly, how about the Rangers? Playing the best team in the league in the Florida Panthers. They explode second period into the third period. And how good has Chris Kreider been? I mean, Chris Crowder's on pace to score like 50-some goals this year. It's crazy. I've always liked him as a player. He's taken it to another level this year. The Rangers have taken it to another level this year. What a way to go into the All-Star break with a win over the Florida Panthers in resounding fashion like that at Madison Square Garden. Monster, monster win for the Rangers. So, listen, eventful day. We had a lot to unpack there in this open, and I feel like this Brian Flores lawsuit, with a lot of this stuff, it's only just begun. It's only just begun. You're going to look into it from a Giants standpoint. To a lesser extent, you're going to look into a Broncos standpoint. But the juiciest stuff, twofold. One, what went on in Miami as far as bribing losses. Two, how we are going to change the hiring process in the NFL for head coaches and minority candidates for the better. 
All right. Ian O'Connor is going to join us. He's been very tied in with the Flores camp, very tied in with all this giant head coaching stuff. He's going to join us. Trivia Tuesday, all the stuff that we do Tuesday and a Wednesday. All right. Voicemails, trivia, and Ian O'Connor. They're up next. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Insane day in the NFL. Tom Brady retires. Bombshell lawsuit from giant hip coaching candidate and my former head coach, Brian Flores. And this guy is well-versed as it gets. Great book on Belichick. He's got an unbelievable book that I can't wait to read that he's taunting me with right now in the Zoom <laughs> background on Coach K, the outstanding Ian O'Connor of the New York Post. What's happening, Ian? How you doing? What's up, John? Good to see you. You know, Ian, I thought we were going to be starting this conversation with the legacy of Brady and whether or not you're surprised that Brady's calling it a career, but I got to start with this bombshell. What was your reaction? You obviously have been touting the candidacy of Brian Flores, as have I, for that matter. I thought he did a fabulous job with my football team. I thought he was a leader of men. I looked at the Dolphins winning years each of the last two seasons. A lot to like from his perspective, but I was cool with Brian Dable. You get this report today and you see this story regarding a lawsuit. What was your initial reaction? Well, I was surprised. And, and frankly, in covering that search, John, I felt that the Giants' interest in Brian Flores was genuine and that uh, John Mara reaching out to Brian directly with a phone call pretty early in the process to me signaled that they were very interested because, frankly, I don't remember John Mara doing that often over the course of my time, 25-plus years, being around the Giants as, as a columnist. I really don't recall him doing that very often. But as it turns out, hey, if you look at it, the Giants have not had a, a black head coach in 97 years of football. So I think that that really wasn't the reason I endorsed Brian Flores. I looked at his body of work as a head coach in Miami. The fact that he came from Brownsville, Brooklyn, was was not really a factor for me. It was just a, a fun thing to mention, really. But when you look at the fact that in the last two years, he won 19 games with, a, with quarterbacks less talented than Daniel Jones. He beat Belichick four times in three years. And just, just what he was able to accomplish with a relatively thin roster without a top quarterback in a league where if you don't have a top quarterback, it's next to impossible to win at a consistent rate. I thought he was the best candidate. And, and frankly, John, I thought was a fairly weak field of coaching candidates. Brian Dable is a qualified guy. I thought they were clearly the two best candidates, but I gave the slight edge to Flores on head coaching, not just head coaching experience, but fairly successful head coaching experience, relationships aside. And so here we are, and I guess the courts will decide whether or not his lawsuit has merit. Well, the sense that I got is that John Mara was enamored by Brian Flores, and you were reporting that. I saw that a variety of different places on Twitter. But when you hire a GM that has connections to the Buffalo Bills, my sense is, Ian, Brian Flores didn't have a fair shot because Joe Shane has a leg up in the relationship with Brian Dable. He knows him. They have a partnership. They've been together the last couple of years. That's tough to fight. Uh, here's my educated guess, if you will. I think John Mara 
was hoping that Joe Shane would come to him and say, I want to recommend, I want to hire Brian Flores. And Joe Shane wasn't going to say that. And John Mara was not going to hire a new GM and then deny him his first big decision on the job, which would be the next. If that ever got out, if Joe Shane said, Oh, I'd be showing Mara left and right. I'd say, what are you doing? You're not giving your general manager any autonomy. Nonsense. He would have gotten destroyed for that. Destroyed. I think deep down in his heart, I could be wrong. I didn't hear this directly from somebody high up in the Giants organization. I think he was actually hoping Joe Shane would say, I think we should hire Brian Flores. Joe Shane did not say that. And there was no way John Mara was going to go against his new GM in his first big decision. So listen, I I think the Maras, and also Chris Mara was a big fan of Brian Flores too. I, I think that Brian Dable is looked at by everyone in that organization as a very qualified candidate. And a guy who did a lot, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball in Buffalo with Josh Allen. But he has no head coaching experience. The last two guys the Giants hired without head coaching experience were fired after two years in McAdoo and Joe Judge. And so my personal feeling in covering it is that they did view Flores as a serious candidate. He obviously disagrees with that. And and we'll find out which side is right. Okay, you spent time with Brian Flores. Clearly a leader of men. Clearly, guy looked like he's going to be coaching the NFL for a long period of time. A lawsuit like this comes out, Ian, and I have to wonder, you know, Brian Flores is putting his career, his reputation, a whole lot of stuff on the line. And we've seen this before in the NFL. You go against the shield that usually does not end well. I mean, there's a very good chance that we don't see Brian Flores coaching the NFL ever again. Well, you could look at it two ways. You could look at it that way. And give Flores credit for basically filling the Colin Kaepernick role in this cause. And somebody had to step into that void and he was willing to do it much like Kaepernick was. This is a different cause now with coaches and you look around the league, 70% of the players are are African-American and we have one black head coach and the Rooney rule isn't making a difference. Things are getting worse. So Flores said, you know what, at the risk of my individual coaching career, and, and I think it's worth it. I think this stand is noble enough and worthy enough for me to risk my career. And I give him credit for having the you know what to do that. So on the other hand, this now puts immense pressure on the league to hire him and other uh, black candidates. So he still has a shot at the Houston job. He still has a shot at the New Orleans job. It's possible now, if not probable, that he has a better chance of getting one of those jobs if he so desires. Uh, than he did uh, 24 hours ago before this suit was filed. So it'll be very interesting, I think, the next three to five days to see how this plays out. You know, that's a fascinating point. I wonder, and obviously Brian Flores is a man of conviction. He's a man who's putting his reputation on the line. But if the New Orleans Saints or the Houston Texans offered him a head coaching job, do you think it would come with the stigma of, hey, we give you a job, this lawsuit better go away? I don't think he would accept those terms, I don't think so either. I I don't. I agree on that. Listen, and just talking to him, I did a, a big feature on him uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, coming out of Brownsville, Brooklyn. And he's a guy who doesn't back down to anything. He might say, listen, I want to coach your team. I'll accept the job, but I'm not dropping this lawsuit because this is not just about me. This is about a lot of coaches. And apparently there are dozens ready to sign on in this class action suit and, and back him up. This is not about Brian Flores. This is about what's right. Uh, in the National Football League, the injustices that need to be corrected 
as it relates to uh, black head coaches or candidates. And so I, I don't think he would take a job with the understanding that he has to drop this suit. I just don't think that's what Brian Flores is all about. Well, Ian, now it's official. Tom Brady has called it a career. And I never thought this day would come. I actually thought I'd be a lot more excited about it. But I got to I, I gotta own this. When Brady left New England, even the last couple of years with New England, I like acknowledged this guy's the best to ever do it. I don't care if he torments my team at this point. We're never going to see anything like this ever again. Then he goes to Tampa, and I found myself rooting for him the last two years. And I'm like, he's playing his best football. He's moving around great. He's still this ageless wonder. So I never thought he'd retire. He goes out on top. He goes out the best to ever do it. When you watch that game against the Rams a few weeks ago, were you thinking, you know, Connor, this is the last game Tom Brady's ever going to play? His body language was a little off for me in defeat. And maybe you could say the same thing about his final game in New England after losing to Tennessee. He had more a sense of relief and resignation on him than, than just devastation that we've seen in some of his big game losses. Not that there have been many over the course of his incredible career. But I remember having a conversation with him in 2017, I believe, about 45, 50 minutes on the phone. And we talked about a lot of different things. And one of them was playing, never mind uh, at age 45, playing beyond that, John, 46, 47, 48. I even asked him about age 50 back then. He didn't rule it out. I don't understand at age 44 after Tom Brady's a guy who always accomplishes his stated goals. He stated 45 at least as a goal. And he's 44. He's one of the best players in the league still. And all of a sudden he's walking away. I, I, I sort of feel that beyond the public reasons, and I think they're all very legitimate. He wants to spend time with his family. Obviously the, the physical toll of another season at age 44, what it requires in the off season to recover from the, the minor injuries and not so minor injuries he has played through. That, that's certainly all a major part of this, but I would not be surprised if something went down in Tampa that turned him off a little bit to staying there. And frankly, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if after a year of R&R and a lot of quality time with his family, he decides, you know what, I feel good. I, I want to go back and maybe play for Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas. They're very wow. close. So you are not ruling out the end of TB12? No, I wouldn't rule it out. I'm not saying it's probable. You know, Maybe it's a 75-25 proposition where he stays retired. But the guy's a complete freak of nature, and you can't tell me that he couldn't do it. There's just nothing this guy, if he put his mind to it and he worked at it, that I I think on a football field he couldn't accomplish. You've told me he was an eight-time Super Bowl champ at age 47 for the Las Vegas Raiders or or Jim Harbaugh. He joins him in Minnesota. I I think that's possible at at the very least. So there's just – he basically, I wrote this today in the New York Post, he has made the impossible possible so many times, and he's really knocked down the, the, the boundaries of human achievement in, in sports that you, you just can't bet against the guy doing anything, and so nothing would surprise me. I wouldn't put my money against him, but you know what I really enjoy, though? You think about a lot of these great all-time quarterbacks, Ian. I saw my guy Marino at the end. He looked completely washed. Eli at the end looked cooked. Roethlisberger this year. Peyton Manning, even though he won a Super Bowl, I think he threw nine touchdowns and 17 interceptions. The idea that Brady in his last year is like an MVP candidate, like the idea of not just going out on top, going out as as good as ever, like that's why the idea of not winning a Super Bowl, 
I think is easy to digest and not having like the farewell tour and everybody following you and whatnot. Cause it's like, Hey, guess what? I walked off the field. My team was down 24 points. I came back in the game. My numbers speak for themselves. I got nothing to prove. Like if this is the last of Tom Brady, as good as it gets, man. Well, you could say he could have walked off last year after winning could've. the Super Bowl. Could've. He had, I believe uh, his wife, uh, Giselle, said this. You have nothing left to prove. And he won a Super Bowl without Belichick, without the Patriot way. And so why come back after that? Why? Because he knew he could still play at a very high level. And he still can. Right now, today, at age 44. And again, he did state 45 and beyond as, as a goal. And he never falls short of his goal. So that part of it surprised me. When I felt he still had three years left to give at a high level, that he would pull the uh, plug on his career right now. But hey, the and I think so much attention was paid to the fact he didn't mention the Patriots in his lengthy Instagram post. No Belichick, no Kraft, no Patriots fans, and and also the messy, awkward way this thing played out after the Schefter Darlington report. That a lot of attention was paid to that, and it was almost a shame that. The guy had the greatest career in the history of the NFL, and we were talking a lot about other things. And frankly, like I said earlier, John, just I think his enduring legacy is that he, as a guy who was the 199th pick in the draft, a former seventh stringer at Michigan, where his high school coaches didn't even think he'd ever play at Michigan. When he got to be first string, the coach, Lloyd Carr, didn't want him to be first string and, and wanted Drew Henson to be the quarterback. To think that that guy became not only the greatest quarterback of all time, but the greatest player of all time. He proved once again, that, that nothing is impossible in, in sports. And I think that's his legacy. Okay. So your book, which I can't wait to read coach K you have all these great stories. I'm sure you will profile this, this iconic figure in college basketball. You wrote a Belichick book, another icon in the coaching landscape. In really digging deep in these profiles, Ian, did you notice a lot of similarities between Coach K and Bill Belichick, or are they two just drastically different, completely type of people? No, there are some similarities there. Well, first off, the process was entirely different because Belichick actively tried to block people from talking to him. <laughs> Naturally. So, and and uh, even without that, I felt like I was trying to climb Mount Everest in doing that book. That's the hardest thing I've ever done professionally in 36 years in this business is, is putting that book together over three years, in part because of that. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski didn't cooperate because he wants to, my understanding is he wants to write uh, his own book in retirement. And really, at the end of the day, he didn't say it this way, but why should he give me all of his stories for, for free? And, I, and frankly, it's a good question. I don't have a good answer to that. I, I, I don't blame him. But uh, to his credit, he did not block anybody, maybe outside of his wife, although I think she made her own decision and daughters, uh, from talking to me, his best friends growing up with, his, his coaching friends, his assistants. Basically, anyone I wanted to talk to who was willing to talk to me was free to do so. And I do appreciate the fact that he allowed that to happen. But as people, as coaches, the similarities are just the intensity, the attention, the detail every day, and just how driven they were to succeed and get the best out of their players. The difference in style is Krzyzewski is a berater, a very profane guy, and, and a lot of people are surprised to hear that, but he, uh, his style in practice, he will break you down. He is not afraid to get in your face. And, and what I've noticed, though, 
under NFL rules, you're not allowed to watch a whole lot of regular season practices anyway. You get to see more training camp. The one thing I've always liked about Belichick's style and coaching is, though he is very sarcastic in the film room and sometimes on the practice field, he's not a berater. He's not a screamer. He'll, he'll cut you with dry wit and sarcasm, but I prefer that than the in-your-face, high-volume, cursing-you-out approach. So uh, that, that, that's, anyway, a part of the Belichick coaching style I've, I've always liked. Final one, the Giants. It's not going to be Flores. We know it's going to be Brian Dable. They've been awful for nine years. The once-proud Giants have been basically reduced to a laughingstock, firing coaches, inept GMs, you name it. Do you think they finally have it right, Ian? They might. It, it's Listen, I thought Joe Judge was going to be good, John. So, so did I after um, the first year. But you know what, though, right. Ian? They could have doubled down on him and said, hey, continuity, we don't want to fire a coach. The end of the year, that presser with Chicago and then the final game of the year, the empty seats and the quarterback sneak. After that, I'm like, if you're firing the GM, how, how do you possibly keep the head coach? You couldn't do it. Right. If he if he didn't conduct the press conference in Chicago that way, and if he didn't do the back-to-back quarterback sneaks, I think he's still the coach of the Giants. I really do. I think they would have absorbed the 4-13. and 13, But those two things on top of it made it untenable to bring him back. It really did. And it's a shame because he seemed like a, a good guy, a uh, different style from Brian Dable. But with Dable, he obviously gives Daniel Jones the best chance to be a better player than he has been so far for the Giants. I think that you just never know. And John Mara admitted this the other day. The hardest thing for an owner to ascertain in, in talking to coaching candidates is whether or not a rookie head coach can command an entire room and an entire team. We don't know that. We've never seen Brian Dable try to do it. And again, that's that's a reason, one reason why I endorsed in a column in the post Brian Flores because he had proven, though he had flaws, he had problems in relationships on game day, on game day, without a quarterback, without a top quarterback, those players played hard for him and he found ways to win football games. And so we'll see if Brian Dable has the same trait. He appears to be, well, he is widely respected, also known around the league as one of the nicest guys there is in the NFL. So. Hopefully, he'll be able to uh, impose his will on this team and finally get the Giants back to being the Giants. Ian, thanks so much for doing this. When does the book drop? Can't wait to read it. Well, you can pre-order now on Amazon. We'll be talking about it in a couple of weeks. The official release is February 22. Ian O'Connor, Coach K book will be out in a few weeks. New York Post, one of the best. Thanks for the time, Ian. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, John. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. 
Good stuff there from Ian O'Connor. Always great hearing him. Uh, I'm sure the book is going to be fantastic. I love the Belichick book and perfect timing. With his connection to the Flores camp, with everything that's going on, couldn't have worked out any better. All right, voicemail time. You know what to do. It's 917-382-1151. That's where we make some magic. Let's hear him. Hey, what's up, JJ? This is uh, Justin, transplant out in Michigan, originally from New York, man. Definitely feels like home listening to the show. I really appreciate that. Comment I have is about the Knicks. Every time I hear you talk about the Knicks, heard you talk about it on Simmons' podcast, heard you talk about it on your own podcast. It's about trading all of our young, all of the young players that we got for a superstar. To me, I think that's the worst idea ever. We never build from the bottom up. And that's what we need right now. Don't trade any of the young. I wouldn't trade any of these young guys. All the vets, Julius, Randall, Alec, Burks, Kimba, the rest of those dudes, those dudes could go. Obi, untouchable. RJ or Star J Barrett, untouchable. I just want to hear your thoughts on this because I completely disagree with trading for a superstar. We get a superstar who can't carry these young guys who aren't ready. We're right back in the same position again. So continue to build in the draft. I think this, this uh, new staff has done a great job drafting. Love Quentin Grimes. Love Deuce McBride. Jericho Sims. Let's just keep it going. Just keep building all the way up. All right, that's it, man. Justin, I appreciate the kind words, but you're failing to realize a simple realization in the NBA. It is a star-driven league. It will always be a star-driven league. I don't think there's a trade between now and Thursday that will change the course of the Knickerbocker franchise. I don't feel that in the least. But they need a star. They will not win and win big until they have one. Whether it's drafting one, developing one, sure, if you can do that, great. Barrett's a really nice player. I like him. I hope he stays. I hope he's here a long time. Let's be real about R.J. Barrett. He is not going to be the number one player on the championship team. That's okay. He could have a really nice NBA career. He could be a perennial all-star. I do believe he has that sort of potential within him. But anytime I hear, oh, there's, there's untouchables on this team. No, there's not. No, there's not. This team is under 500. This team will be lucky to make the postseason this year. Brooklyn had a bunch of young dudes. Now, I don't know if it's going to work out for Brooklyn long term. Even with hitting on Durant and Irving and ultimately bringing in James Harden. They had a bunch of young dudes. What was that team with D'Angelo Russell and friends going to accomplish? Be a 43, 44-win team at best? Like That's not what I'm looking to build. So from that standpoint, you could not be more wrong. I love the love. I love the kind words. But you want to have a parade at some point. You want to have me pouring champagne all over my head, smoking a victory cigar, right down the Canyon of Heroes, Joe Burrow style. Like, yeah, you uh, you got to get a star player. It's the way the NBA works. Who's next? Hey, JJ, this is Aaron from Iowa. I just recorded a message, but then I realized that I said, actually incorrect statement, so I'm re-recording it. Okay, so I had this idea of Westbrook to the Knicks that I came up with a few weeks ago. Now, Simmons mentioned it on his podcast with Kevin O'Connor. I like it. The Knicks need a dynamic point guard. They need, like, an explosive lead guard, which Westbrook 
still can be at this stage of his career, even though he's definitely past his prime. As we've seen the last few years in his 30s in Houston, he turned out slow. Then by the end of the year, before the pandemic, he was like averaging 30 points per game in the month before everything shut down. And with Washington last year, he started out slow, but then he was getting all those triple doubles towards the end of the year, which were translating into wins, and he carried them to the plan. So I think in the second half of the season or the last 30 games or whatever, Westbrook could pick it up. I'm not convinced that he's lost it. The trade idea I have is Kemba Walker, Alec Burks, and Evan Fournier for Westbrook and Austin Reeves. What do you think about that? I'm not in love with the idea of bringing Russell Westbrook to the Knicks. And I remember when I was doing radio years ago, and this was 2019, I was like, I don't want this guy on the team. He's empty statistics. He's a compiler at this stage. His best days are behind him. I'm not in on the idea of bringing in Russell Westbrook. And that contract, no thank you. No thank you. I see you're trying to attach a bad contract. I see you're trying to get creative. No, I'm not going to be jumping for the joy of the idea of Russ's contract being on the books with the Knicks over the next few seasons. No, I'm not. Because it's one of the worst contracts in the NBA. And this is a guy whose best days are clearly behind him. So, yeah, you want to tell me he's going to play a little bit better down a stretch of this year? Sure. You want to tell me the Knicks need a point guard? He's that? Sure. You think you're getting MVP Russell Westbrook? Do you think you're getting a Russell Westbrook that played in the NBA Finals? You were gravely mistaken. It's why when the Lakers brought Russell Westbrook to the team, I adamantly hated the move. I said it was a monumental mistake. I said he does not fit what they need. They needed shooting, and they lost a lot of defense and a lot of shooting on that team. He's not helped. But LeBron, the general manager, wanted him, so LeBron, the general manager, got him. And the end result's probably going to be the Lakers is what, a 7-8 seed in the Western Conference this year with minimal hopes of winning a title? Yeah, sounds about right. All right, Trivia Tuesday. You know what to do. Um, The performance, I got to say, has been a lot better. It has been a heck of a lot better the last few weeks. So maybe we're rounding in the form a little bit. All right, Trivia time. Let's hear it. J.J. Lane, Florida. Here's your trivia tonight. Who are the only two teams to have a lead in, in the Super Bowl after the first quarter and at halftime? and still lose the game by at least 14 points. The second question is, the Rams and the Bengals are both four seeds, totaling eight. This is is the highest total for the seeds in Super Bowl history. There was one other game that had a seeding total of eight. What matchup was that? I'm out. I was. Ooh. Two doozies from Larry. Trying to tie in, obviously, what's going on with the Super Bowl and Super Bowl week and all that good stuff. So, a seed, a total of eight. Hmm. Playing in the big game. I'm going to start with that one. I'm going to break. I have a couple of ideas. Not in love. I'm going to be honest. I'm not in love with either one of these, but we'll have some fun with these when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. 
Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Okay. Seed a total of eight. So you got to think about a year a wild card went to a Super Bowl. And really, you almost have to think about Two wild card teams getting to the Super Bowl for the seed total to be eight because, yeah, you have the third seed, or what were the Rams, the four seed? Yeah, the Rams were the four seed this year, I think. Regardless, whatever the hell they were, doesn't matter. So you got to think about underdog Super Bowls, but you also need the other seed not to be a one. Like, for example, the Giants. The Giants were a six seed. On the other side, they played the number one seed, the New England Patriots. Seattle and Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh was a wild card. Went all the way to the Super Bowl. Pittsburgh was the six seed, but the Seattle Seahawks were number one seed. So, in thinking about this aloud, hmm, lowest seeded Super Bowls. I'm trying to think my lifetime, which would suffice? Basically, any of the years the Patriots were in the Super Bowl, you could rule it out right here and right there. You know, I mean, let's just forget about it. Because there were one or two, basically, every year they made it. They didn't make it as a wild card. This is an excellent question. This is an excellent, 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 excellent question. Denver and Carolina were both ones. Oh, man. All right, I'm going to throw a guess out. I'm not positive about this. I'm going to say it was 2011, Larry, the Packer Steeler Super Bowl. All right. It required a lot of deep thought. That was not an easy question. I had to go through a bunch of Super Bowls in my head. I basically had to talk it aloud, but beautiful. One down, one to go. Very proud of that performance. Very proud of that effort. Then you have first quarter, first half lead, and lose the game by 14 plus. Hmm. I want to say guess one is the Dallas-Buffalo second Super Bowl in 1993. Is that accurate, Stefan? <laughs> that is not accurate. That is not accurate. See, I tried to think of games that were maybe close for a while and got super out of hand and got super lopsided. Obviously, can't give you Atlanta and New England. That game ended up finishing with a six-point spread. Hmm. Don't think Kansas City and San Francisco sufficed because they ended up winning by 11. That was that late Damian Williams touchdown. First quarter, first half, lose by 14-plus. Not Seattle and Pittsburgh in the 06 Super Bowl. You know, I'm not feeling great about this one. Is it Indy Chicago? 
No, no, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Hmm. It's a very good question. This is a very, very good question. Stefan, would you say that this Super Bowl was played within the last 25 years? So there's two of them, Jay. One was played within the last 15. Okay. And the other one was in the last 30 to 40 years. Ooh, all right. Let's start with the more recent one, then. Let's start with the more recent one. Hmm. You got to think about the lopsided Super Bowls. That's what you got to think about in your head. So I'm trying to think of games that were not decided within uh, a possession. And it really, in many ways, rules out 2010 to 2020 because... There were not a whole lot of lopsided Super Bowls. I mean, I can only think of two. Seattle never lost the lead against Denver, so that's not going to be a candidate. I'm going to throw this one out there, Stefan, even though I'm not convinced and I'm not positive about this. Is it Carolina against Denver? Mm. No, no, because Denver had a lead in that game. I remember. They had a lead in that game. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to think of lopsided Super Bowls. Okay. Hmm. It's not Atlanta and uh I, I think all right, I think I know the other one. I think I know the other one. Is it Washington Buffalo? <laughs> I mean, this is this is I, I I nailed the first question. This one is giving me a very, very hard time. Very, very hard time. Stefan, I, ins- I am insistent that I need to get the-, the first answer correct here because if it was in the last 15 years, like I'm going to be annoyed by it. Like The fact that I haven't gotten it yet eats at me. It's not the Giants and the Ravens. Oh, man. All right, I'm throwing one more guess out there and I'm waving the white flag. Throw one more guess out there and I'm waving the white flag. It is not the New England Patriots over the Green Bay Packers, is it? <laughs> Stefan, I am just going to throw in the towel on this bad boy. I, I did not do well. Did not are do well sh- on question two. Are you way. sure you don't want to take one more stab at it? I'll give you a hint. All right, let me hear a hint. That, that might All help. Right. That might. So you have, mentioned one of, you have mentioned two of these teams that played in the Super Bowl. I'll say that. Yes. I the have two, mentioned. Hmm, you have mentioned two. two I have mentioned two of these teams. Yes, within your guesses, you have mentioned these. But teams. not not the same game, though. Not the same game. Hmm. If I have mentioned this team twice, you mentioned both teams. Remember, it's two. It's two answers to this question. Yes, there's two yes. different ones, but you have mentioned two of these teams in separate occasions. Okay. Would it be Washington over Denver? Nah. Stefan, I don't know it, dude. I do not know it. You ready for the answer? Yeah, let's go. Get it out of, get it out of the way. So the first one was Super Bowl 21. Denver was up on the Giants and then ended up losing 39 ah, to 20. Super Bowl. Yeah, see, I should have known that. A little before my time. 
Did not think that the Denver Broncos actually had a lead in the first quarter and had a lead at the end of the first half. And that game ended up being a rout. Phil Simms, one of the best Super Bowl performances in the history of the game. So that was bad all around that I did not nail game number one. But the one that was far more recent, Stefan. Super Bowl 44. The Colts were up over the Saints, and the Saints ended up winning 31 to 17. See, that is such, that is such a misleading Super Bowl final score because of the Tracy Porter pick six interception. Like, you don't think of that game as a blowout. It was not a great Super Bowl by any means, but the Sean Payton onside kick, Jeremy Shockey ends up scoring a touchdown. I remember I had the Colts that day. I was was not particularly happy about it because I lost some money senior year of college to a couple of buddies. But you don't think about that game being a 14-point spread. Pick six, seven-point game, ends up being a 14-point spread. So Tracy Porter and the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, that one's eating at me. I basically ran through every Super Bowl over the last 25 years except that one. So Yeah, your almanac skills are really up there, Jay. I will give you that. You must Listen, have read the almanac Stephane, as a kid. I take pride in the memory. It is one of the few gifts that God has given me. However, <laughs> that one's going to be annoying me tonight, bro. All right, so you didn't get this one. I'm going to give you another stab at a second question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's see. Let's see. Hey, JJ, Charlie from Elmhurst. I got two trivia for you. So next year is going to be interesting uh, that Carlos Beltran is going to be in the first ballot, of the uh, first year of the eligibility in the Hall of Fame. So here it is, the first one. Uh, Carlos Beltran has, is one of five MLB ballplayers to have hit 400-plus home runs and recorded 300 plus stolen bases. Who are the other four players? Second one is Tom Brady's now officially retired. What are the three movies Tom Brady appeared in the camera appears? What are those three movies? All right. Take care, JJ. Wow. Tom Brady in Hollywood. That's rather timely, Charlie. You know, I don't have a good feel for this. Tom Brady in Hollywood. Oh, man. I want to say one of the movies is The Other Guys. Is that accurate, Stefan? The Other Guys? No. Oh, for one. That might have been Jeter. I I think Jeter appeared in that movie. Tom Brady. What freaking movies did Tom Brady appear in? Wow. I'm probably going to be annoyed when I don't know the answer. Like, I'm thinking about, like, all of the Boston movies. I don't think he's in any of them. He's not in The Departed. He's not in The Town. Like, I, I, I don't think he's in any of the Boston movies. What freaking movies is Tom Brady in? Jesus. Stefan, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what movies Tom Brady was. Are you, are you, so you, you, you're bowing out, or would you like a? No, hit? no, no. I, I want to get. I want to get a little guidance here. I am not completely bowing so out. So you said Boston. Think of one of Boston's most beloved actors. All right, I think Boston. I think Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, or I think uh, Marky Wahlberg. One of the three. All right. So think about movies with one of those three guys that he may be in with. Hmm. 
Okay. See, I was thinking it was a Wahlberg movie because they're buddy buddy. Is it a Wahlberg movie? I can give you that. Yes, I can give you that. It is a Wahlberg movie. Okay. So, like, I remember Brady and Entourage. I, I, I don't. I, I, the, the movie career for Tom Brady. Does the Entourage movie count? See, I wouldn't even have counted that as a movie, to be perfectly honest with you. So that was a good hint. That was well done. Yes, Tom Brady was in the Entourage movie, and I did see that. So I'm sure Jerry Ferrara and Kevin Connolly are furious at me for not knowing that right out of the gate. But, like, again, it just goes to show you, you think television show, you don't think movie. Okay, one down, two to go. I'm proud of myself for that. The other two movies that Tom Brady is in, oh, my God. I, I don't know. I mean... There is another Wahlberg movie. I'll give you that as well. It is another Wahlberg movie. That makes sense. Another Wahlberg movie. Hmm. He's not a fighter, is he? I mean, it would he wouldn't be considering that movie is supposed to take place in like the late '80s, early '90s. So, no bueno. Stefan, I don't know the other Wahlberg movie. What the hell is it? Ted Two. Oh yeah, that's right. See, uh, Ted Two is very like vague to me. I I don't remember much about Ted Two. Ted One, really good film. Ted Two, very unmemorable. Is the third movie of Brady? Because then I'm moving on. I'm going to get to his second question. Worthwhile or no? Uh, I don't know. It was another Boston guy, Matt Damon, and it was Stuck on You. I would not have not. I've never seen that movie. So I've either, not so seen Stuck cool. on You. Okay. All right. So good job by Charlie uh, Woodside, Elmhurst, wherever the hell he is these days, because that, uh, that, that question kicked my ass. All right. So Beltran, the other question, is 105 with 400 homers and 300 plus Stolen bases. There's four other guys to do it. 400 plus homers, 300 plus steals. That's an excellent, 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 excellent question. I'm going to say that someone in the news is guest number one, Barry Bonds. One down, three to go. Uh, Guest number two, Stefan. Mickey Mantle. Not the Mick, because he stopped running right later in his career. Okay, so not the Mick. All right, so I got to get, got to get three more dudes. Bonds is one, four hundred homers, three hundred plus stolen bases. Guess two, another guy who was on the Hall of Fame ballot did not get into the Hall of Fame. Alex Rodriguez, two down, two to go. So you got to think about guys who steal bases. That's the key to this question. Bonds, A-Rod, 400 homers, 300-plus stolen bases. Hmm. It rules out a lot of guys because, you know, you think about a guy like Jeter. Jeter is not going to get to 400 home runs. Then you think about a lot of the, the power dudes that are out there. They don't get to the stolen base totals. I'm going to throw him out there, Stefan. I don't feel great about it because I don't know if he has the stolen base numbers. He might even have the power numbers, to be honest with you. But I'm going to say his name anyways. Mike Trout on this list. Mm. 
No, he didn't get there. He didn't get there. Okay. Okay. Two down, two to go. You think of power, you think of speed. Hmm. See, I do not think Griffey got there from a stolen base standpoint. I don't think that he did. The homer is absolutely. I don't think Griffey had 300 stolen bases throughout his career. I do not. Would you say the other two guys, Stefan, within the last 25, 30 years? Nah, they're 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 a little bit before that time. Well, one actually played until the mid nineties, and one is more of the sixties, seventies era. I'll say that. All right, so one played until the the mid nineteen nineties. You tell me. Interesting. Hmm. Dave Winfield. Yeah, I don't think Winfield got there from a steals perspective. Did not get there from a steals perspective. But the, the hint was trying, I was trying to go with the hint. Kirby Puckett's not there, right? He didn't get to 400 home runs, did he? Mm. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Would you say these other two guys are Hall of Famers, Stefan? Absolutely. Both they Hall are of absolute Hall of Famers. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Willie Mays. Okay. One to go. See, we're grinding this one out. Uh, I'm proud of the effort. We're really grinding this one out. And you're telling me the guy retired the last one in the mid-1990s, Stefan? That is correct. Hmm. Retired in the mid-1990s, but yet he had 400 bombs, 300 stolen bases. I'm going to be annoyed at this one. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be very, very annoyed at this one. Because I should know this. American League or National League player, Stefan? He played the majority of his career in the National League. He had a few years in the AL, but the majority of his career majority was in the majority of his career was in the National League. All right, I'm taking one guess, and then I'm, I'm waving the white flag on this. National League player. Damn. This agitated me. As you can tell, folks, I am very, very annoyed. Very annoyed. I take pride in my trivia. I take pride in my performance. Damn. You guys are probably waiting for me to throw a guess out there, but honestly, there's not a guess that's coming to me right about now. Stefan, I do not know, and I'm going to be annoyed. So just tell me the answer now. I'm going to start cursing immediately. Andre Dawson. You know what? I'm not that mad at myself. Great player, tremendous talent, but that I would have I would have given you about five or six other guesses before I got to Andre Dawson. So excellent questions all around, and we do Trivia Tuesday every week. Bring the heat. You know what to do, and you get the opportunity to play a little Q&A with JJ. That's what we do around here. All right. Before we say goodbye, Jeff Money, who has been insane with the college basketball, will he be sticking with the college basketball for a Wednesday night in sports? All right, Money, the floor is yours. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with Handicapper Picks. This is going to be for 
Wednesday, February the 2nd. I got two college basketball games. My money plan, I'm going to take number 680. I'm going to take George Mason plus the one over St. Louis. And game number two, I'm going to take number 694, Wake Forest minus the 13 over Pittsburgh. Again, my two plays for uh, tomorrow, Wednesday the 2nd. It would be six, number 680, George Mason plus the one. That's my money play. And we're going to go with Wake Forest. Minus the 13. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Well, I like the logic with Wake Forest after the beat down my Orange gave to him. And my Syracuse team stunk. You would think Wake would be ready to go against the bad pit team. So I could roll with you on that. And I'm not going to fight you on the A-10. You've been money in the A-10. And listen, my college picks have been lacking. I have not been on fire. I had a rough Tuesday. Monday was tough with Notre Dame. so. Uh, we got we got to get the uh, the guns firing, as they say. We got to get the the wheels in motion. They are not where they need to be. But listen, it's only February. Soon will be March, and I'll be dialed in, nailing futures, nailing picks like we do each and every college year. I can promise you that. Great job by everybody, Steph. Great job. We are back Thursday. It's the awkward bye week. Thursday. It is our first Thursday show without our football regulars. We'll find a way to make do. The NFL, you never know what else is involved. Continues to be the gift that keeps on giving. Some Sometimes it's for good reasons. Other times, not so good. But hey, who knows what will be in store come Thursday. JJ out. Enjoy. Be good, everyone.